Thomas is our guest today on Vital Voices. He is a native of Jacksonville, Florida, and grew up in St. Augustine. In the spring of 1961, he joined the Freedom Riders, a group of civil rights activists who rode interstate buses into the South to protest segregation. He took part in the very first Freedom Ride on May 4, 1961. On May 14th, Mother's Day, he and his fellow Freedom Riders encountered mob violence led by the Ku Klux Klan in Anniston, Alabama. Hank Thomas, tell me the story of that awful day. When we got on the bus and we got crossed the Alabama state line, uh, I think everybody was convinced that this could get pretty hairy. Uh, I, we knew something about the reputation of Anderson. It was a hotbed of the Klan and a place that uh, just totally had the black population cowed uh, because of the violence both of the Klan and the police department. We drove as we neared Anderson. The bus stopped, another bus approaching from the other side. The two drivers got out. And we later learned that uh, the driver coming from Anniston told him that there was a mob there waiting at the bus station for us. When the bus driver got back on, he looked at us and just kind of smiled. And there was no doubt in our mind that we knew that he knew something was up. Drove in Anniston, streets were totally deserted. We pulled around the corner into the uh, place where the bus station was. Could have been a crowd of 150 men. And they, the bus station was closed, but they were there. Sticks and all of that. And when the bus driver pulled up, he got out and said, Well, boys, I brought them. And he quickly got off the bus and um, closed the door. Uh, apparently, that was his termination point because another driver. And in the meantime, the mob outside started breaking all the windows of the bus, rocking it and everything. And luckily for us, they could not open the door from the uh, from the outside. The other driver got on, and he started to drive to Birmingham. As he pulled out two pickup trucks pulled in front of the bus and a convoy of cars and trucks behind it. The pickup trucks in front would not let the bus pass them, so they kept it going real slow. We did not know at the time that the bus tires had been punctured, and when we got just a few miles outside of Anderson, uh, the bus tires went completely flat and the driver pulled over to the side of the road, which happened to be just in front of a general store. At the place where he pulled up, a crowd of people were already gathered, and they continued to break the bus windows, and of course trying to get on the bus to get to us. The bus driver had already gotten off, and he quickly closed the uh, the bus door back. This went on, the beating on the bus, the yelling and the screaming, maybe for 15 or 20 minutes. And then some incendiary device was shot aboard the back of the bus. We later since learned it was a, a incendiary grenade. Uh, 
It exploded. It set the bus afire. And within just, uh, when the bus was burning in the back, for the few of us that remained on there, we, you know, move up to the front. But within minutes, the smoke from the burning fabric uh, was, you know, really overcoming. Again, I had to make a choice. Uh, if I go outside, once again, the mob is going to beat me to death. If I stay on the bus, I'm going to get killed with the flames. So I, for some reason, thought that it would be an easier death to stay on the bus and maybe inhale the smoke and, you know, you pass out and that's it. But when you inhale smoke, the other involuntary forces of the body take over and you try to get out. When the bus started to burn in earnest and the flames are now uh, consumed the back of the bus, we tried to get out of the bus. People outside were holding it shut and we could hear things like, let's burn them niggas alive. Let's burn them alive. And the only way we got out of that bus is that the fuel tank exploded. When it exploded, the mob just assumed that the whole thing was about to blow up, and they ran. And that was the only way we got out of out of there. But otherwise, we would have been burned. People had just come from, we later learned, from church, had their children with them. Children were on the shoulders of people as they come to watch the Freedom Riders get lynched. That's the thing that has stayed with me all these years. There was a story I read, and I read many stories about uh, the Holocaust. In 1942, in a Polish village, Jews were being rounded up to uh, be sent to the death camps. So the German soldiers thought they'd have some fun. They took a group of the Jews to their local synagogue, ramshackle building, forced them inside. They nailed both the windows and the doors shut. They poured gas all around, and then they set it afire. Local priest who was holding mass at the time got word that the Jews were being burned. He dismissed his congregation so they can go and watch Germans burn the Jews. When I read that, my mind made immediately back to Anderson. These were law-abiding people, Christians, who had just come from church. They were coming to watch the Freedom Riders get lynched, and it was like a pep rally to a football game. How did you break away from the scene? As soon as I got off the bus and they scattered and they realized that the bus wasn't going to explode, but it was just burning. And it was the immense heat from the burning bus. As I, as we tried to move away, the mob then would not let us. One man came up to me and he hit me. At this particular point, I didn't even know that there were any police officers there. There was one man there who was head of the Alabama State Patrol. Governor Patterson at that time would continuously say on the radio that we were not going to waste the tax. He wasn't going to waste the taxpayers' money protecting us. This one man I since learned, of course, he's long since died, was a man of principle, even though he was the, he was the, um, 
head of the patrol, he said to the governor, it was his sworn duty to uphold the law, and he was going if none of his men would come with him. None of his men came. As the guy hit me and started to attack me again and went for the other people, this officer pulled his revolver, fired his gun into the air three times, said, okay. And I later since understood the remark. He said, y'all had your fun. It's enough. Well, when I heard that he said, y'all had your fun, I, I was a little bit taken back by that. But now I understand why he had to say it that particular way. By now, the effects of the smoke is taking uh, place on you. Ambulances were called, and when the ambulance arrived, they were white drivers, and they would not take us to the hospital. They had to call for an ambulance driven by a black person. Those were the Alabama state laws. A black person could not be taken uh, to the hospital in a white driven ambulance. As incredible as it may sound, those were the, that's what the times were. We went to the hospital. The mob still wasn't through. They came to the hospital, told the hospital officials if they didn't put us out, they were going to burn the hospital. Hospital officials said, y'all got to leave. Said, no, we're not. You know, they're outside there. What are we going to do? And that's when uh, CORE uh, sent for Reverend Schultzworth. In the meantime, the state of Alabama nor the FBI would do nothing to protect us. And they sent people up. And I think at this particular point, maybe the Justice Department had said we'd better do something when they learned that we were trapped in the hospital and people were threatening to burn the hospital. And that's how we got out of Anderson. And I went on to uh, Birmingham. I was still very sick, and a lot of us were. And uh, I was flown to New Orleans and then put aboard a plane and flown to uh, New flown to New York. And that didn't discourage you from continuing to take part in the movement. You're 19. You're crazy. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have discouraged me anyway, regardless of what age I was. It took me about three, about four days to recover. And as soon as I heard that the, that the ride was going to continue, I was on a plane flying to Montgomery. And I continued on from there. And as soon as we got to Mississippi, uh, we were promptly put in jail. You were so young. How much did your parents know about what you were doing? Uh, my parents did not know what I was doing. And I... I was, you know, that was on purpose. I didn't want them to know because I know my mother would worry. The FBI, and I always have very hard feelings about the FBI. During those days, they were doing all kind of uh, underhanded, dastardly things to disrupt, discredit uh, the civil rights movement. They went to my mother's house in St. Augustine, Florida, told her, to contact me and tell me to stop doing what I'm doing because I'm going to get in trouble and I could get killed. Imagine a black woman in the South, two white men coming to her house and telling her 
that her son can get killed if he doesn't stop what he's doing. Can you imagine what that did to her? They didn't just do it to did it to me. They've done they did it to other people as well. So that's how she found out. But she still had no way of getting in contact with me. And of course, I didn't know they had done this until many years later. So all during this time, she is in agony over what's going to happen to me. And from time to time, she would get calls, and somebody would just say. Have you gotten in touch with him? Do you know where he is? And that's all they would say. So that's the kind of stuff they put my mother to through, and they did it to other people as well. How well did you know civil rights leader, the Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth? Quite well. Uh, for a second concern, one of those brave people, one of my heroes, uh, that man had been beaten many times, standing up for his principles. Um, and, of course, the police, nor the FBI, would do anything to protect him. And so he put his life and the lives of his family uh, on the line. And only a couple of years after your experience in the Freedom Rides, you get drafted by the U.S. Army. So here I am, just two years removed from escaping from a lynch mob twice. The Army wants me to protect the country, help protect the country. Sixty-five, I was sent to Vietnam. And uh, in 65, I was caught in a Viet Cong ambush and wounded. Someplace in Alabama, Tennessee... Mississippi, Georgia. Some blacks still can't vote, but I'm over there protecting the rights of the Vietnamese to vote. And according to President Johnson, stopping the spread of communism that imperils our great American way of life. Our guest today on Vital Voices has been Hank Thomas, one of the 13 original Freedom Riders. Hank Thomas is now 82. Four Vital Voices. I'm Fred Saucer.